The two big subjects that I want to focus on this episode involve healthcare, the government, and who gets to make the decisions, and the potential that is happening between North Korea, South Korea, and that war, as it apparently seems to be drawing to a close. Those are going to be the two main subjects, but I do have, as always and as usual, a slew of other topics that are going to pop up as we talk. So get ready and tighten your seatbelts and get ready for today's program. This is FritzCast. Friday, April 27th, 2018, guys. How are you doing? And welcome to another edition of the FritzCast. Can you believe that in the three short days, it, it is now, three short days, it'll be May. It'll be May, and we are just uh, just now shy of a month away from my 29th birthday which I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about that. I know I talked about it last episode. And uh, it's not eating at me yet. Uh, I really, I don't think it's going to eat at me until probably the middle of next year when I go, oh crap, I am really close to 30. But I'm not. I have a whole year and at least somewhat almost a whole month before that happens. So it's not time to panic yet. It's not time to hit the panic button and wonder what I did with my life, even though I wonder that every day. Other than that, I mean, it couldn't be a more bleaker or grimy day. It's raining. It's cloudy out. It is what it is. I can't help the weather. I wish the weather was better because um, earlier this week, I, of course, I told you the update. You know, where is the news flash music? I don't um and now Fritz with a flooring update. Oh, that was good. Yes, um so I, I obviously I brought over my 60 boxes of flooring. 60 boxes. It was like 3000 pounds of floor paneling. My god, and I moved it all by myself. Okay, the Home Depot truck that I rented couldn't take it all in one go around. Because that has a 3,000 pound cutoff. It's probably more than 3,000 pounds total because they plopped both boxes on the truck and it started yelling. It started screaming, I can't haul this. And so they're like, you have to make two trips. And I said, great. That's awesome. So uh, I had to go earlier this week and buy some, you know, more extensive tools like a table saw, a miter saw, so that I could. Uh, Start cutting these boards and fitting them in and stuff. And uh, started doing that. And today, knock on wood, um, I don't even think this desk is wood. It's got to be some kind of composite wood. I don't know. Anyway, knock on wood today, I should be able to finish that room completely 
touch it off, and then I just got to paint it. I know some of you are like, why didn't you paint it before you put the floor in? Now you got to put it down plastic and all that crap. You're right, forward thinking, shut up. I don't need your judgment. Got to paint that room, and then I can move everything that's in here into that room, the office. The new FritzCast podcast studio will be completed. Except there will be more junk shoved in there because I'll have to move everything out of this room and begin the process of tearing up this floor. Which, in case you didn't realize or or if you're wondering or whatever, I'm really looking forward to it. Really am looking forward to it. It is kind of fun to tear things up and replace them and see your handiwork as you go. That's an accomplishment. That's something that like you can be proud of. You know, when it's done, I want people to be able to walk in there and go, wow, I really like this floor. And for me to be able to say, hey, guess who put it down? This guy right here. Put it all down by myself. These hands work magic. So with any luck, I'll complete that room, get the office moved in, and be able to begin the process on the next room. And the next, the the, the rest of this project should go relatively quickly because uh, the the experimentation was that first room. The learning curves was that room. The, uh, the I was doing everything for the first time. Thank God for YouTube and the internet and DIY stuff. Thank God for this network that we have that we can access and look up this stuff. You know, because you can do so much on your own at home. I'm not advocate. It's not like I'm an advocate for you know ah you know screw the small businesses and screw those people screw paying anybody to do it. Uh, th- no, I there, there's certain things that I just will not do in my house. There's certain things that I will not touch, and then there's certain things by law that you can't or you shouldn't. You know, uh, electric any electrical work, for example. No. I'm not in the mood for dying. I got solar panels on my roof. Uh, I, I don't need to. I don't need to screw around with super extensive stuff like that. I don't think googling or youtubing that crap will work out in my favor. I really. I don't. I don't foresee that being something that works. Uh, so I, I dodge that plumbing work. Hell no. Hell to the no. I'm gonna get the professional in here to do. That crap. Because I'm not touching it. I am not going to be the root cause of a probably what could be a $500 problem turning into a $5,000 problem. Not, not, not in my, not, not, not my forte. Don't want to do it. Don't want to, don't want to learn the hard way. If you know what I mean. So I don't dig that and I don't feel that. But a lot of stuff. You know, drywalling, flooring, uh, stupid stupid fixed stuff that pretty much everybody should be able to do a little bit of in their house. You know, and there's a difference between, eh, I know how to do it, and I can do it, but I don't have the time to do it, so I'm going to pay somebody to do it. I think there's a clear difference in that and, and, and just, you know, uh, yeah, I could do that, and I should do that, but screw it. You know, it's like the people who buy house cleaning services. You know, I'm not, not knocking maids in saying that, you know, oh, they're, you know, house cleaning services are useless, but how hard is it to clean your house? It's a finite area. You know what I mean? So the sad part is, is that I'll have to finish up this podcast and I'll have to run to Home Depot again. Home Depot must either love me or hate me 
for how often I enter in there. I'm going to go with Love Me because they're getting my money. I'm going to go with Love Me. I am starting to loathe them because it's like, it's like, oh, here's something that I didn't think about or overlooked, and now i got to run to Home Depot and get this crap so that I can move on, so that I can continue on. So the thing that I need now is a saw bag for the saw table that I bought. Um... Because for some reason, I don't know, I'm going to have to recheck the assembly instructions or whatever. Uh, For some reason, this saw table did not come with a dust collection bag or tubing for it or anything. And that kind of sucks. That that really, like, so I have it in the room and I don't want dust to get everywhere. Because when you're laying down floor, you don't want dust everywhere. It, 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 It messes up everything. And it's dusty. I have to wear a mask and breathe through a mask. I, I turn into Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. You know, I will liberate this floor. Puddle by puddle. I will rip the rich and decadent wood and replace it with laminate. It, it, it really is. It, it's goofy. It, it's goofy and it makes me goofy. To some extent. But really, I mean, we'll see how that goes. The other day at work, too, I, I had I was really... I was getting trained in what we call a pepper ball launcher. And a pepper ball launcher, if you've never seen one or you don't know what I'm talking about, it's essentially like a paintball gun. That's exactly what it looks like. Uh, and it's run off uh, compressed air. And uh, what we have is we have these... Well, like they're they're like paintballs practically, except they are filled with uh, OC powder, uh, Ocellarian uh, capsium powder. It's uh, you know it's pepper spray in a powder form, and it is a you know it's a riot control and uh, and um, controlling chemical agent that we can use. And I was really adverse, like I was really on the edge of this training because. Uh, in law enforcement, uh, these tools during training become toys, and they like to they like they like you to experience it. They like you to get the full experience of the thing. Uh, and wh- and wh- what I call it is just um, I call it the trainer's privilege of. Being able to inflict pain that was inflicted on you because you got certified in something. That's that's what it is. So uh, a while back I did the stun cuff, which is a little taser box that can get strapped to your leg and deliver something like, I, I don't know, 50,000 volts of pain and suffering for five seconds and totally disable your leg, and it sucks. And the pepper ball gun, it, you, you can either... Suffer the effects of an area saturation where we can deploy this and pop these pepper balls and, you know, OC dust will rain down on you. Or it can be direct application, uh, which is like shooting you with a with a paintball gun, except I'm pretty sure it hurts worse. Uh, I don't know. I thought I was going to have to get shot with this thing. And I was like, I am not, I'm, no, I'm not looking forward to that. I, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten zapped. I've gotten sprayed. They both suck. Uh, either way, hands down, every time, I will take the shock. I will take the shock box on my leg anytime because it's over in five seconds. That's it. It's just five seconds of hell, and then it's done. 
Um, everything else, probably worse. Probably worse. And possibly possibly getting shot with this thing, I was like, no. No. What, what are you going to do? Make me run in an open field and just start wailing on me? No. I've played paintball before. I've played airsoft before. It sucks. It sucks. Especially if you're not wearing padding and stuff, which we weren't. We were at work. But, uh, you know, long story short, I didn't have to get shot with it. Thank God. So that was that was like a highlight of the week just because I was the entire time in my head I'm like do I have to get shot with that thing really and that's the whole thing too they're like well you should test it so you know that what the force feels like and you can know when it's appropriate and you won't this way you won't misuse it or abuse it and I do agree with that philosophy I do very much agree with that philosophy however please 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 show me the police academy here in America where they shoot you with a 40 caliber or a 9 millimeter handgun to show you what it feels like cuz the answer is they don't um they do not however if you look up some russian agencies or in the army or whatever they do shoot you with blanks they do shoot you with with simulation rounds and and things like that um different intensive trainings do do that i'm sure there's probably a police department or two that probably does something like that and that is what it is. I'm not in them, and I'm not getting shot with a rubber freaking bullets. I'm not. I'm not in that business. Anyway, on to the subject matters that I wanted to speak about uh, today. And first, I'm going to go with the the North Korea, South Korea, you know, cease armistice. Uh, the, the, apparently, all signs are pointing towards the end of their long-standing conflict. Uh, in fact, just mere hours ago, mere hours ago, Kim Jong-un, and who is, of course, the North Korean leader, and South Korean President Moon Jae-in, they met at the DMZ line. They met at the borders and reached across and shook hands, and now they're having a historic summit today uh, throughout this morning. This morning for us, and it's it's... A completely different time right now for them. Um, they're, they're they're having a historic summit to try to come together and and create a a new Korean history, and it's very unprecedented. It's very uh it's very unexpected. It's very out of the left field. And I'll tell you, I want to tell you some of my thoughts about this uh, just right off the bat. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, or or a month or so ago, when it was announced that Kim Jong Un wanted to talk about denuclearization, meeting with President Trump, which they are allegedly going to meet sometime next month in May. When that first came out, if you listen to the episode, the podcast episode I put out, I played Admiral Akbar's, uh, you know, little clip from... It's a trap! Yes, yeah, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, it's a trap. Uh, and I was very, very, very skeptical at the beginning of it, uh, to the degree that I was like, no, this this is not a possibility. This, the, overnight? I don't think so. I, this is impossible. As we have been moving through the weeks, however, things at least are starting to look like they're lining up that way. Uh, just seeing this footage of Kim Jong-un and, and um, Moon Jong-il shaking hands at the DMZ line, Amazing. Truly amazing to see that it it came and it went and it was absolutely civil. And that they've they've very symbolic people 
over there because they built a conference room in which everything in that conference room is symbolic, including the table that they're going to sit at to talk and have discussion, the chairs and the etchings in the chairs, the carpet, the, the freaking blinds. It's all symbolic. They, uh, they did a lot of symbolic gestures. In fact, after they shook hands at the line, President Moon invited Kim Jong-un over. He's the first North Korean president, or first North Korean leader, my bad, not president, excuse me, to step over that line in, in decades. The first one to step over that line in decades. And as he stepped over, he invited Moon to step back over the line into North Korea. And they held hands together as they did it. Very symbolic, very open, and now they're going through... It is amazing to watch some of these clips going on. Making a lot of people wonder, I mean, yes, the, the is this war over? Is their conflict over? Are they actually bridging a gap, burning away the old history, and starting something new? And I got to say, I mean, while it's convincing, there is still a part of me. I would be lying if I didn't tell you that there's parts of me looking at it in my head screaming, don't get too excited just yet. And I don't mean to say that to be discouraging. Call it just me trying to be a realist about it. Um, As I'm watching... The, the various footage that's going on, um, I just had one news feed rolling on it. Uh, when my office gets set up better, as I do um, these podcasts and all that, I'll actually have live news rolling in the background. It'll be muted, of course, but that way I can just you know kind of glance over and see what's going on. But uh, as I'm following along with, uh, with these meetings, uh, it, it's amazing to watch, but... Like I said, it's a cautious optimism. A very cautious optimism. Because it would be great for them to come together. It would be great for them to to tear away this, this 65 years plus of conflict. This bitter division that's been there. It would be great to see them unite. It'd be great to see them at least sever that history, put it behind them, bury the hatchet, as it were. And I don't know, I, I, I really, it's hard for me to convey the skepticism in the back of my head. Because when, when they said Trump meeting Kim Jong-un, I swear, like, I did go straight to it's a trap. I said that's going to be a world front thing. All the eyes of the world will be on it. And... Me and my, you know, extreme paranoia, I was like, that's going to be World War III. That's going to kick off. Something's going to happen there. And it's going to be devastating. Especially because of how fast it was happening. Things are still happening pretty fast. This is still pretty fast-paced. It was just like yesterday that Kim Jong-un said, you know what, I think I'm done. And it makes me wonder, is you know, is that... It was the desperation? Was uh, were things just getting too tough? And he really did come to his senses. Like you know, I can't keep this up. And then there's just parts of me that that are like watching it like a hawk. Like, 
Is this a ruse? Is this a trap? You know, where is what? Where is the where is the blind side? What's going to come out of the woodwork? I hate to say that. I really hate to say that, but so far, the small steps. It looks very. Uh, it looks very genuine, and it looks like it could be a promising situation. And it's going to be something to keep our eyes on as we continue forward with that. They're essentially the uh, at the end of the Korean War in 1953. They there was no peace treaty signed, um, and now they're talking about uh, formally formally declaring an end to the war, signing a peace treaty, coming together, a uh, complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. All these positive steps, and the 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 beautiful part that I have been enjoying about this, at least anyway, in watching all this unfold is that it's two countries, North Korea and South Korea. The rest of the world is not involved. The rest of the world is not intervening. It is literally North and South Korea doing their thing, and we are all mere observers in what they are doing. And I think that's the most genuine bit of it. So we will see where it goes. I remain forever hopeful, but I also remain cautiously optimistic about it. Now let's move on to the second topic that I mentioned today, the healthcare bit. Um, when we talk about healthcare in the United States, there's there's a couple different political philosophies going around. There's a lot of people calling for universal healthcare or government managed healthcare or state-run healthcare, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, Bernie Sanders talking about human healthcare. Or healthcare being a fundamental human right. It's a very complex topic. It's a very pricey topic, and it is a very diverse topic. And you will find lots of different opinions for people on what they think should be done. And some people here in America say, "Oh, look at this model over here. Look at this model over here," and. You know, oh, it works for these people. They're doing it. And there's a lot of different systems to look at, and there's a lot of different ways they work. Some of them work through taxation. Some of the countries that people point to for these universal health care systems, they're taxed at 40% or more of their income. Some of them are. Now, why would people be against a concept of, you know, oh, we all come together collectively to make sure that everybody gets health care so that everybody can get treatment uh, so that nobody has to suffer and die slow, painful deaths because they can't afford health care access. A noble cause, a noble idea, for sure. However, for those people who don't understand why people fear the concept, I would simply say, just look at news out of the United Kingdom over the past couple of years. Really, just within the past two years. You can look at the United Kingdom, where debates have popped up, real, true debates that need to be had that go much deeper than just the surface of, we need universal health care so everybody can be taken care of. There was, of course, the case of uh, Charlie Gard. So a brief synopsis of Charlie Gard, if you missed that or just don't pay attention to international news... Uh, Charlie Gard uh, 
uh, was a 2017 case. Uh, Ch- Charlie Gard passed away uh, on July 28th, 2017, at 11 months and 24 days old. Charlie Gard was born with mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome, MDDS, a rare genetic disorder, and it causes progressive brain damage and muscle failures. Um, there's no treatment, and it usually causes death in infancy. And his case became controversial because the medical team and the parents had disagreements on whether experimental treatment was in the best interests of the child. This is something that me and my wife discussed, too. Um, Essentially, Charlie Gard's parents wanted to take any possible route to see if they could save their child, which absolutely is noble of parents to want to do whatever they can to ensure the survival of their child. The medical team was dead against it. The medical team essentially said, listen, you need to pull the kid off life support and you need to let him go. The parents did not want to accept that answer. Several court cases stemmed from it. Several attempts for the parents to get to, to get Charlie Guard somewhere else for treatment in hospitals that were willing to treat him or try to treat him or try experiments, experimental treatments. It was there. The potential was there. The government overruled and told the parents, no, you don't actually have the right to do that. Uh, the medical team says, the medical team here says no. So that's that's what's going to happen. And they gave up their fight. He went off life support and he passed away. And it stemmed up some deep arguments over the over the situation. Such as who has control over the interest of the child? Does the state have it? Does the parents have it? Who has it? Me and my wife discussed this one at length. Like, you know, we we came to grips with uh, this conversation before we have children so that we don't have to do it on the fly. Um, There's probably some people out there who would say, um, if they have a child and the doctors told them that the chances were 15% for for the child surviving or indefinite terminal, some parents would say, okay, you know what? We're going to take the child off life support, and if they, you know, if they pass, they pass, and that's fate. There's some parents who would say that. There's some parents who would look at it and say, it's cruel to drag a child through something like that to see if, if the possibility of them living a little bit longer happens or not or what have you. There's definitely an issue lying there. You know, my wife, God bless her, she said if she was diagnosed with something severe and terminal that she might not be the type that would opt for prolonged, uh, prolonged treatment just to extend her life a little bit, especially if it was going to make her uncomfortable and, and uncomfortable or painful. And those are options that adults are faced with uh, every day. There's 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 an adult out there somewhere. There's a there's a human being out there somewhere who is facing a terminal diagnosis of a disease. Some people say I'm not going to do treatment and they just live on until their body gives out. 
that's their that's their choice. It's their prerogative. What we all say. That's what we that's what we all say. Except there's still debates over whether or not assisted suicide should be a thing. Like, sh- should somebody be able to say, you know, I've come to terms with it and I'm willing to, you know, I don't want to live in a degenerative state. I don't want to slowly slip away or anything like that. And I just want to, you know, end it. Uh, the assisted suicide euthanasia. Uh, that's another big debate that's going on right now, too. Uh, in this case, though, in these cases, Charlie Gard, his was a case of this is a child, and who has the right? Who has the rights over that child's medical care at the end of the day, and who has the best interest at heart? Is it the medical team? Is it the parents? How does the government get involved, and what role does the government play? And it's happening again in England. It's happening again with... Uh, a child, Alfie Evans. Um, Alfie Evans is not yet two years old, and the hospital and doctors treating him in Liverpool say that he suffers from a degenerative neurological condition that they are sure is certainly fatal. That is, that he is in a semi-vegetative state, not a full-blown vegetative state. This is according to the New York Times, by the way, that I'm getting the information from. New York Times article written by Richard Perez Pena, semi-vegetative state, and they're arguing the only humane course of action is to let him die. His parents, supported by the Italian and Polish governments, and the Pope, which, by the way, the Pope said, I believe the Pope extended an invitation to Charlie Garden, his family. I believe. Um... They're not convinced that this kid is beyond hope. Nor do they believe that the doctors fully understand his condition. And they want to continue his care. On Wednesday, the British Court of Appeal upheld a ruling that not only approved the withdrawal of care and sustenance, but also prohibited his parents from seeking treatment elsewhere despite an invitation to take him to a hospital in Rome. Uh, The decision is wrenching to the parents, the courts have said, but prolonging Alfie's life would prolong his suffering, and so it would be contrary to his interests. This is severe. This is severe talk, real talk, about health care. In that the court is deciding what is best for a child who, you know, this isn't even a case of... This isn't even a case of talking about, like, a, a pregnant mother or anything. Uh... This child's born. Whether uh, the degree that the child is suffering, I can't say, you can't say, we none of us can actually say. Does the does the medical team and the state, the government, do they have the overruling power versus the parents? Like I get the hospital that they have the child in is saying, "Hey, this is, in, in our opinion, he should be pulled from life support. You should let him go. Don't, don't drag this out. Don't let the kid suffer. We're sure it's fatal. But there's other hospitals, other countries, and other people willing to try to help the child and give the child treatment. But the court is ruling that the parents can't do that. The court is ruling, no, this child is dying. Period. The end. Big moral argument because 
who has that right to say that? Who has the right to determine that? And where does the cutoffs come? Lots of red lines that should be drawn or at least should be talked about and debated now in regards to health care because I can already tell you how I feel about my health care. All right? You could tell me. The doctor could tell me tomorrow, hey, you're diagnosed with this. It's fatal. Uh, we don't know when it's going to kill you, but it will kill you eventually. I can already tell you what my answer is going to be. My answer is going to be, hook me up to a car battery if you have to, as long as I'm still alive. That's my take. That's my stance. Somebody else in my shoes might say, okay, I don't want any life-prolonging treatments. If it's going to take me, it's going to take me. I'm going to go enjoy whatever I have left. Different people, different circumstances, it's going to happen. It's hard in the case of a child because it's not like we can talk to Alfie Evans. It's not like we can sit there and say, hey, what do you want? Because he's not even two yet. But apparently, the doctors in the court sure as hell can say to the parents, hey, your kid's dying, get over it. No, you can't take them elsewhere, even if they're willing to treat them and try, uh, even if it is on your own dime. No. I think this is a highlight example of some of the great fear people have of universalized health care. Everybody talks about the good aspects. Oh, there will never be a person suffering again. You know, everybody will get health care treatment that they deserve and that they need and that they want. Or, in the case of Alfie Evans, which his parents want to try other treatments... They're denied. They're denied because the court says, well, this group of doctors looking over him in this hospital know best. So let the child die. Now, I'm not saying that you can't argue an aspect of is that child suffering? Because that child very well may be suffering. It may be painful. It may be traumatizing. I don't know. We all don't know because we don't really remember when we were two. The earliest memories I have is when I was three. I do have some severely ingrained memories in my head from when I was three years old. But if you try to go beyond that, I mean, I'm sure there might be a memory or two in my head from when I was two. I don't... I I, I do remember being in my parents' room... In a crib. I do remember it. I remember some dreams that I used to have at three years old or possibly two years old. And the reason why I can say that and tell you that is because my father died when I was uh, four years old. And I absolutely remember almost every aspect of his funeral in my head from when I was four. But I also have memories of him. But you get the point that I'm trying to make. I, at, at two years old, I can't make a decision. I can't make a decision at three years old. There's some there's some adults that can't even make decisions now. And they're 30 and 40 and 50 years old. But when you when you ask the question, why, why, why are people so against universalized health care? Why are people so against getting other people help? Well, it's because of the stories like this where the court can rule against what 
a caretaker wants, or what a parent of a child wants. And then there's the moral argument of, okay, the doctors are saying the kid has no hope, and no, you're not allowed to go outside the country and seek other treatments, even if the hospitals are willing and give us written consent that say, yes, we want to treat this child. If the court can rule that with a child, there is the moral argument, there is the the argument that would say, especially when it's collectivized um, resources and everybody's getting the same level of care, there is the argument that what if the doctors say it, you're a 40-year-old person, you're a 30-year-old person, 20-year-old person, 15-year-old person, whatever, and the doctors that are treating you come to the table and say, all right, uh, you got a fatal illness, we can give you some life extension drugs, but that's it. Um, And we're not going to let you do experimental treatment because we think that's a liability, and we don't want to do that. Even if you sign waivers and papers and pay for it and all that, we think it's too much of a liability. We think it's against your best interests. There is that argument to be made, and I think that's where people really start to fear those ideas. Because at least in America, you could always... There's, there's never a case here in America of n- not being able to go get a second opinion from somebody. Not being able to seek experimental treatment from somebody. I guess there might be an ethical argument of experimental treatments on children. Or on babies. And I understand that, but... at the, the, the Very complex, deep argument here. Who Whose choice is that to make? Is it the doctors? Is it the government? Is it the parents? Is it a collection of those? Is it only one of those? Or is it none of those? I don't know. Very, very complex case going on with Alfie Evans in England. And just to add to, continuing from the New York Times article that I got the information from, the staff of Alder Hay Children's Hospital took Alfie off a ventilator on Monday. But defying expectations, they figured they were going to take this kid off the uh, ventilator and he was going to pass away rather quickly. He kept breathing on his own. And the parents' lawyers from the Christian Legal Center have said they will continue their appeals. Quote, for the third day now, there's not been one single problem with him. His father, Tom Evans, told reporters outside the hospital on Thursday, insisting that Alfie was not suffering despite what doctors have said. Quote, it's not a miracle, it's a misdiagnosis. The painful back and forth has been fodder for the British news media for weeks, with much of the coverage sympathetic to the parents. A group of people siding with the parents called Alfie's army has gathered outside... Alder Hay waving signs, cheering and jeering, and hospital officials say their employees have been subjected to a torrent of abuse. The court rulings barring continued medical care may sound jarring to Americans who are accustomed to the idea that a family has the right to keep a patient alive, even if doctors disagree with that decision. Far more familiar in the United States are the cases in which family members have fought for the right to let their loved ones die. But in Britain, rulings like those in Alfie's case date to at least the early 1990s. 
and there have been more than 20 of them in the past decade, says Dominic Wilkinson, a professor of medical ethics at the University of Oxford. It's a serious issue, it's a severe issue, and it's one that's not going away, but it's a debate that people seemingly or conveniently are avoiding. In my book, anyway. That's been the two dominating storylines in the news this past week that have been stuck in my head. The the North and South Korea Union, and whether or not there is actually an end to conflict coming there, and there is peace being established, which would be a milestone for the world, and then health care. If we're going to argue about things like universal health care or a universal system that people can pay into, where are the red lines drawn? Yes, they're having these court cases over in England, and we can say they'll never happen over here in America because in America it seems we have the opposite. We have people saying, we have people having the debate over um, self-assisted suicide or euthanization or end of life, you know, coming to the terms of the end of your own life on your terms when you have a terminal illness. Here in America, we don't have that problem. Here in America, you don't... I can't think of a news story. I'm sure if I Google searched it, maybe something would pop up, but this doesn't seem to happen here. It seems like here, maybe, we we do the utmost job that we can with a child according to what their parents wish. But in England, well, in England, it's not happening. So that's food for thought for you guys. Um, I'm going to call it quits for today because I have a floor to work on, and it is 10 o'clock in the morning. So i got to pound it out and finish it up and be happy with my results. That's, that's, I really cannot wait to see the results of this floor coming down. And if you're lucky, if you follow me on my uh, social media, which I'm about to go through, maybe you'll see the pictures and the progress. Um, and that'll be cool, right? So guys, facebook.com slash the Fritzcast. That's the homepage of the Fritzcast podcast on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at FritzQS, F-R-I-T-Z, the letter Q, as in quail, and the letter S. That's the Twitter and uh, fritzcast.wordpress.com for my blog. And as always, if you need to reach me via email, it's uh, fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com. So guys, thanks for tuning in this week. Ask yourself these questions. Should we be skeptical of the North-South Korea Union or should we just go with the flow and see what happens? And healthcare. These red lines for healthcare. Who has the right? Who has the right? Do me a favor, guys. Like this, share this, and discuss it on social media. Share this podcast with at least one friend for me. You'd be doing me a favor, and that's all I ask that you do. Just do me that one little favor. Love you all, and I shall address you all next week.